I believe we've got to reduce the influence of money in our politics so that a handful of families or hidden interests can bankroll our elections. Well, sure. That's what he said last week. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. We'll see if he means it. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Yep. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is The Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, and 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove, out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI, out in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU. And on AM 950, KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org. Streaming on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, and of course, Radio Sputnik five days a week. You can run, but you can't hide from the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us once again for another thrilling, action-packed adventure. And boy, howdy has it been over the past uh, few days. We're, we're just sort of starting the week, but I'm already exhausted. I don't know about you, Desi Doyen, but from <laughs> yes. the, uh, what, over the past week, the State of the Union, Obama's final State of the Union, the Republican debate, the Democratic debate. Uh, we I remember have- that's two Republican debates. Uh, two Republican debates? Yeah, there was oh, the so. undercard debate oh, and the yeah, overcard exactly. or whatever you want <laughs> the to overcard. top tier. <laughs> the overcard. But that's essentially two debates in the one. The overperformers debate. Yeah, I know. And you, I should add... You did uh, the heavy lifting. All of your work uh, pulling those quotes and having to slog through uh, all of the audio from that stuff. So uh, thank you for that. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Uh, Desi Doyen, our producer. Um, the uh, Where was I here? Uh, see how confused I am? We're just starting and I'm already lost. Uh, oh, yeah. Speaking of Democratic, that Democratic debate that we uh, uh, talked about on uh, on yesterday's show. By the way, a hysterical show, I think, with uh, Hal Sparks and Jimmy Dore. Easily the funniest post-debate analysis I show you'll so. hear. Yeah, but easily also the smartest, if I say so myself. These guys were both really smart and uh, uh, informative on, on the candidates, on at least Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders, uh, and the debate between the two of them. Go back and listen to it at bradblog.com. You can download it or over at iTunes. Uh, I thought really helpful and interesting. Uh, On the night of the Democratic debate, which was Sunday night, as Democrats only hold their debates on uh, secret weekends uh, when very few people will watch for some reason, I asked on the Twitters afterwards who gained more ground thanks to tonight's debate. And uh, use that uh, that new tw- uh, function that Twitter now has, the Twitter poll. And, uh, well, here's the response that I got from uh, readers, listeners, actually, I guess, followers on the Twitters. And I am, by the way, if you're not following, I am the Brad Blog on Twitter. Follow there 
and say nasty things to me all you like. 73% thought Bernie Sanders gained more ground from that debate on uh, on Tuesday, on Sunday night. 21% thought Hillary Clinton. 6% Martin O'Malley. Now, it is a small sample. It is a completely meaningless poll. All it tells us is how some of my followers on Twitter saw that debate on Sunday night, or at least what they wanted to tell me they thought of that debate on Sunday night, uh, that Bernie Sanders came out ahead, or at least he gained more ground. Don't know if that's true or not. Well, I did see a lot of folks saying after the fact that yeah. they believe that Bernie was the one who was the one who won the debate. Well, I, I might have agreed with you, by the way, uh, in the other Democratic debates. I actually thought uh, Hillary Clinton. Uh, I'm sorry. You're right. Bernie Sanders. I thought Hillary Clinton did better in the previous debates. Right. I thought this was the first one where Bernie Sanders actually outperformed her, which is ironic because the DNC has been hiding these debates in theory uh, to help the Clinton campaign. At least this is uh, the schedule that the Clinton campaign wanted for whatever reason. And she does really well in the debates. And she did well on Sunday as well. I just thought that this was uh, uh, the first time that I felt that uh, Bernie Sanders had uh, the upper hand. That's just my opinion. Meanwhile, my opinion, meaningless polls. Meanwhile, New poll out as we go to air out of New Hampshire. CNN WMUR poll puts Sanders up 60 percent to 33 percent over Hillary Clinton. Almost a 30 point lead in New Hampshire. Really? Well, that's what uh, that's what we get as we go to air. I do say, you know, meaningless polls because uh, the only thing that matters really is uh, how people vote. And of course, unless we know how the people vote, uh, unless we actually count the ballots, which in New Hampshire they do not do. They do in a small percentage of the towns. They hand count them at the polling place. On election night, before the ballots are moved anywhere, but uh, that's about 40% of the towns in New Hampshire, but it's a smaller percent of the voters. Most of those votes will be counted by Diebold optical scan computers, which can be completely flipped uh, in a, a moment's time, and there's no way to know unless we bother to go count the paper ballots. So beware of that. In the meantime, on the Republican side in New Hampshire... Oh, before I even get to that, let me just say, coming up, uh, I had mentioned this in, in that opening quote there during uh, during our opening. Uh, John Schwartz of The Inter Intercept will be here to tell us about what he characterizes as some pretty serious hypocrisy, I think is the best way to put it, by President Obama based on what he had to say about campaign finance uh, reform during his last State of the Union last week. So John Schwartz will be here to explain how he believes that the president can and should take action today to reform uh, money in politics, money in elections, to reform our political system, the executive action that he can take to make this change today. Uh, in advance of the 2016 elections. All right, uh, so back to our polls here. Uh, John Kasich, governor of Ohio, surging. Well, surveys say yes. Uh, as the uh, half-hearted Republican uh, search for a Trump or even a Trump cruise alternative continues, Kasich does seem to be surging. We pointed this out last week. There was two separate polls showing Kasich coming in 
at least third or tied for third suddenly in both Iowa and New Hampshire. And now we've got another poll that says the same thing. The American Research Group poll released on Tuesday now says he's actually uh, coming in second place in New Hampshire behind former reality television star Donald Trump, current reality star, let's be honest, current reality star uh, uh, Donald Trump. Uh, Ohio Governor John Kasich is now in second place, according to this poll just released today. The ARG poll shows Trump in the lead with 27 percent, followed by Kasich at 20 percent. So he's just seven points behind Donald Trump. This is a, a big boost for him. He had been trailing behind Senator Marco Rubio in that uh, same poll back in December. He was tied with him in the same survey earlier this month. But now he's, uh, well, he's taken a lead as uh, Rubio is losing ground. So the search for a Trump or Trump Cruz alternative continues in the Republican Party. At least that's what they say. At least that's what they claim. I'm not so sure about that. Uh, I, I think there is an effort. It's somewhat half-hearted effort by the party establishment to come up with that alternative. But in the meantime, the electorate seems to be warming up to the idea of uh, presidential or Republican presidential nominee Donald Trump. I talked about this poll a little bit last week. We haven't had a lot of time to cover a lot of stuff because we've been doing the debates. But um, a poll... Last week from NBC News and uh, and the Wall Street Journal show that things look pretty grim for the Republican establishment if they think they are going to find a replacement candidate, an, an establishment acceptable candidate uh, to somehow beat Donald Trump. According to this poll in a three way contest, this was just uh, just days ago in a three way contest between Trump and Cruz and Marco Rubio, if those are the only three candidates that uh, the electorate, the Republican primary electorate gets to choose from, Trump still leads 40 percent. Cruz is in second with 31 percent. And Rubio is way back with 26 percent. So if it's only Trump and Cruz and Marco Rubio, it's going to be Trump or maybe Cruz. The Republican electorate is not apparently looking for that establishment alternative that uh, so many in the establishment seem to be saying they're interested in. In a head-to-head contest between Trump and Rubio, Trump wins 52 to 45 percent. Again, among the Republican electorate in in a head-to-head contest between Trump and Cruz, though Trump comes out on top in that one, 51 to 43 percent. 65% of Republican voters now say they could see themselves supporting Donald Trump. That is a new high. But it tells us that the the Republican Party is kind of getting used to this idea. Uh, At least the electorate is. Um, You know, maybe it would, I don't know, we'll have to see if they take the same poll with John Kasich or somebody else other than Rubio in there. Because Rubio does, in fact, seem to be fading to some extent. In the meantime, while the Republican Party is warming up to Donald Trump, America is not warming up to the Republican Party. Things are not going well, in fact, for Republicans overall. The GOP primary race is now turning many voters off to the Republican Party, according to a new poll from The Wall Street Journal and NBC News. 
Uh, this also just out today. Now 42% of registered voters, this is all voters, not just Republicans, but 42% of registered voters say that the fight for the party's nomination featuring Donald Trump has made them feel less favorable about the GOP, while just 19% say they are more favorable. The, uh, the GOP's 16, uh, 2016 primary race has hurt the party's image, especially among Latinos. No surprise there. Independence, which is very bad news for the GOP, and it has hurt the party's image among suburban women. According to this poll, that could be really bad news for the GOP. They were counting on the what are these soccer moms. Right. They used to call them soccer moms, and then they became security moms. Well, amongst the soccer or security moms, uh, the uh, the suburban uh, women now see Republicans. Forty one percent see them as less favorable thanks to this cycle, and just twenty one percent see them as more favorable. Uh, Republican voters are uh, more generous of their party in general. If you just look at Republicans, 23 percent say they feel less favorable about the party, but 33 percent view it more favorably. So a plurality of Republican voters are just fine. Well, doesn't with this the way sound, things are going. Doesn't this sound like the same? We used to call them the 28 percenters during the Bush administration. The 28 percent of right. people who could Those. not who found no wrongdoing in anything. There was nothing yeah. wrong with that. The Bush that George Bush could do. And it seems like this might Those be are still the same, same 28 percenters. But now yeah. they're 30. Yeah, you're right. Uh, among Democratic voters, by the way, 38 uh, percent see their own party more favorably. Uh, thanks to the Democratic race, while 7 percent say that their view of the party has declined. So among Democrats, they seem to be doing OK among Democratic voters. Uh, but uh, when it comes to the uh, electorate overall, this ain't helping the Republican Party. OK, um, do I have time? Well, no, I'll, let me I'll get to that later. Uh, let me get to this. Uh, speaking of the Republican Party, all the money in the world is growing ever more concentrated in the hands of just a very few people. According to a report released on Sunday, just 62 ultra-rich individuals, 62 on the entire planet, 62 ultra-rich individuals, a list primarily made up of men and including people like Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, the Koch brothers, the Walmart heirs, those 62 individuals now have as much wealth as the bottom half of humanity on the planet. 62 people have as much wealth as the bottom half of everybody on the planet. Five years ago, it took 388 rich guys to achieve that status. Uh, as the Huffington Post notes, uh, the wealth of the richest 62 human beings on the planet has increased an astonishing 44 percent since 2010 to 1.76 trillion just among those 62. Meanwhile, the wealth of the bottom half of the world, we're talking about the poorest three and a half billion people. That wealth has dropped by 41 percent. So well, that the, all that wealth had to go somewhere. Well, apparently it did. It Straight went up. from the uh, poor people. Again, the poorest three and a half billion people have as much money as the 62 richest people on Earth. And you said five years ago it took it took 388 rich guys, which was already to shameful. But it's gotten even worse over the past uh, how many years? And uh, what's amazing to me 
is that guys like the Koch brothers uh, have the temerity to complain again about Barack Obama. They are doing great under Barack Obama. They are richer than ever. They have uh, just about doubled their net worth. Actually, I think maybe the Koch brothers uh, have even more than doubled their net worth since Obama has been office. I've long asked, why aren't they sending him a thank you card instead of spending millions and millions, hundreds of million dollars in elections to defeat Democrats? They ought to be thanking them. What do they want more? Yeah, apparently they do. While the wealthy might argue that their rising wealth is just a fabulous sign of economic prosperity, the Huffington Post notes, the disproportionate growth at the top is keeping those on the bottom from climbing out of poverty, according to Oxfam's new report. They say it is unjust that people living in poverty are not getting the boost to their incomes that they desperately need while they are uh, while already privileged capital owners receive a greater share of income and wealth. Wide inequality is no longer seen as an unfortunate consequence of economic growth. Now, many economists, most famously Thomas Piketty, contend that gross inequality actually slows down growth as fewer people can afford to buy stuff. And that creates economic and political instability. Piketty uh, says that extreme wealth inequality helps fuel instability in the Middle East. So, you know, while these guys are making uh, money hand over fist, ultimately it doesn't work out to their advantage. Credit Suisse noted in its uh, global wealth report last year that global inequality had reached a new milestone. The richest 1% of the world's population now owns half of the world's wealth. Maybe that's why Bernie Sanders is surging up in New Hampshire. But it's not just the stock market driving the rise in inequality. They say Oxfam's report also points a finger at tax dodging and urges governments worldwide to get a handle on tax avoidance by wealthy individuals and corporations. Uh, one of the uh, authors of this report, uh, Kripke, what's his name here? Um, I can't find it here. Uh, but one of the authors uh, says that the rich use exotic strategies to park their money which we know, to park their money so that it's invisible and inaccessible to governments who could redistri redistribute those dollars to their citizens. He says, this is uh, Gawain uh, Gripke, the Oxfam's policy director, that we need reform on this. But will we get reform on anything? Will we get reform on anything at all as long as uh, the Koch brothers have uh, nearly a billion dollars to spend on the 2016 election and nobody seems to be stopping them. The Supreme Court has says welcome to it uh, with Citizens United and other decisions. But uh, as uh, Americans try and try to figure out something to do as we call for constitutional amendments to reform our campaign finance system, is there anything that we can do? To, at, to even make a dent on the obscene amount of money in politics, most of it, or at least much of it, coming from this handful of very, very, very rich people like uh, Bill Gates, the Koch brothers, the Walmart heirs, and so forth. Uh, can that be done? We will talk about that next with my guest John Schwartz of The Intercept. He says, yes, Barack Obama can today change the campaign finance system with a stroke of his pen. We'll talk about that after this break. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast.
Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you here. We we spoke in the in the last segment about how the 62 richest people on earth now hold as much wealth as the poorest 3.5 billion people on earth, which is just amazing. 62 ultra rich individuals and uh, as as I noted, that list includes people like Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, the Koch brothers, the Walmart heirs, all of whom and many more have the temerity, frankly, to complain at this point about the political system, despite the money that they have made from it over the past uh, decade or more. They put a lot of money into our campaigns. That is no secret. We have talked about that for years on this show and how basically the Federal Elections Commission is doing nothing about it, nothing to even enforce the existing campaign finance laws that we do have. Uh, the ones that are still standing after decisions, Supreme Court decisions like Citizens United and more uh, crushed so many of the uh, the campaign finance regulations that we had in place. Of course, uh, we are not the only ones to talk about this. As John Schwartz over at The Intercept notes, near the end of President Obama's final State of the Union address last week, the president eloquently called for Americans to take back the U.S. political system from big money. We the people. Our Constitution begins with those three simple words. Words we've come to recognize mean all the people not just some, words that insist we rise and fall together, that that's how we might perfect our union. Democracy breaks down when the average person feels their voice doesn't matter, that the system is rigged in favor of the rich or the powerful or some special interest. Too many Americans feel that way right now. I believe we've got to reduce the influence of money in our politics so that a handful of families or hidden interests can bankroll our election. And if our existing approach to campaign finance reform can't pass muster in the courts, we need to work together to find a real solution, because it's a problem. And most of you don't like raising money. I know. I've done it. But I can't do these things on my own. That was just... Uh Part of uh, President Obama's comments during his final State of the Union address last week on the problem uh, on reforming the electoral system overall, and the problem with 
uh, money in politics, money in campaigns. As uh, John Schwartz goes on to note in his article, Obama delivers more pretty words, ugly inaction on money in politics. What the president did not mention was that, in fact, he can immediately reduce the influence of hidden interests on his own without Congress or the Supreme Court. Here to explain how he could do that, if he wanted to do that, is John Schwartz. He's the senior editor for First Look's The Intercept. Before joining First Look, he worked for Michael Moore's Doggy Dog Films and was research producer for Moore's Capitalism, A Love Story. He's written for The New Yorker, The New York Times, The Atlantic, uh, Wall Street Journal, Mother Jones, Slate, and many others, including, by the way, NPR and Saturday Night Live. But most proudly, no doubt, in 2003, he collected on a $1,000 bet that Iraq would have no weapons of mass destruction. Well done, John Schwartz. Welcome to the broadcast, sir. Well, thank you for mentioning that. That actually is one of my proudest achievements. Yes. Well, it should be. Uh, who, who did you take? Who did you take? Uh, whose thousand dollars did you get out of that, John? You know, I just spent a lot of 2003, uh-huh. maybe like yourself, yeah. arguing with people on the Internet. Oh, yes. Yes. I recall that well. And uh, and so somebody was dumb enough to say, I'll bet you a thousand dollars he does have it. You know, I said that we should bet $200 and uh-huh. the money should go to a charity of the winner's choice. And uh-huh. he said, no, we should bet $1,000 and the winner gets to keep it. Wow. So I said, all right. So you're going to dis- disclose who that was, John? Uh, you know, he was an engineer living in Texas. And like many engineers, I found he liked to believe that the people in charge know what they're doing. Uh-huh. And uh, he was quite surprised when he wrote me that check. Well, I was going to say, uh, not just uh, like engineers, but like people in Texas who think they know just about everything. So it was just some random guy on Twitter, and he actually paid up? He paid up. And, and uh, even better, actually, for me, I'm, I'm even prouder of the <laughs> fact that I had a side bet with a friend uh-huh. that this guy would pay me. That number one, I would win, and that number two, he would pay me. And I won both. He, he really did write me the check. Wow. Smartly done, John. Uh, and Well, since you're so smart and clairvoyant, by the way, before we get to the meat of this issue, uh, since since you know everything, who's going to win the Republican nomination? And do you want to bet $1,000 on it? Oh, you know, uh, I do know, but uh-huh. it's worth much, much more to me than $1,000. <laughs> okay. Uh, then I guess I'll let you go. Well, we'll pick that up on Twitter, perhaps. All right. So uh, I'll bite. Uh, you write that uh, Obama can immediately reduce the influence of hidden interests in elections and in government. And you, uh, you're, you're not, uh, well, I want to say you're not kind, but you're pretty direct that he could take action right now, and he's not doing it. So I'll bite. What could Obama do to immediately reduce the influence of uh, hidden interests in our campaigns and our government? So one thing that Obama absolutely can do by himself this afternoon, Mm -hmm. if he wants to, is sign an executive order placing requirements on federal contractors. And he's done that before with executive orders, He wrote an executive order requiring federal contractors to pay at least uh, $10 an hour Mm -hmm. to their employees. Uh, He also issued a great executive order about uh, gay rights Mm -hmm. for employees of federal contractors. So he can do it, and he's done it in the past. What he could do about money in politics now is 
issue an executive order saying that federal contractors have to disclose any dark money contributions that they're making. These are contributions to what are called social welfare organizations, even mm-hmm. though they have very little to do with that in reality. Right. And if he did that, that would cover uh, about 70% of the biggest corporations. And so it would not force the disclosure of any and all dark money, but it would force the disclosure of a great deal of that. And as I say, if he wanted to, he could do it this afternoon. So, uh, so basically, he says, if you want to be a government contractor, if you want the big money that comes from government then all you have to do is agree to disclose what money you give uh, to where uh, for elections and campaigns and so forth. It, would that be retroactive? In other words, would uh, existing federal contractors have to do this, or would this be as you uh, envision it for all new federal contracts? If you want the deal, you have to agree to do this. My understanding is that they could issue an executive order that would cover current federal contractors, mm-hmm. and in any case, you know, federal contractors have contracts every year. Right. You know, big big contractors are getting money from every appropriation that Congress makes. I see. So whether it took effect immediately or during the next appropriation cycle, he can do it. Now, uh, they could also, or he could also, as I understand it, uh, change or at least order the IRS to review the way they look at these so-called social welfare organizations, these 501c4s who are not required to uh, disclose the money uh, that is, uh, you know, that is given to them, that they collect. Uh, Couldn't he tell the IRS, hey... um, these guys are not actually social welfare organizations unless they are exclusively dealing with social welfare as opposed to campaigns. This has been an issue we've covered on this program for the last couple of years. There's an ongoing uh, uh, battle with the FEC concerning uh, going all the way back to 2010 and Karl Rove, his Crossroads GPS outfit, which is clearly a political outfit, but he's claiming that it is a social welfare organization. He doesn't have to disclose, you know, who's donating. Uh, couldn't Obama also order the IRS as an executive agency to change the way they deal with groups like that? Or is do you know, uh, John Schwartz, is the IRS uh, sort of independent from the executive branch in that regard? Well, that's, this is a second aspect of money in politics that Obama could do something about and has just resolutely refused to for the past seven years now. He's Mm -hmm. been in office. And uh, the IRS, for sure, can clarify what exactly it means for an organization to, as you say, Mm -hmm. this is what the regulations demand, exclusively promote social welfare. Well, actually, that's what the law demands, exclusively. The regulations, the way they interpret that law, I think it says, uh, you know, the, they must mostly spend or spend the majority on uh, a social welfare. The, the, the law is actually quite clear. They must be exclusive in that regard. Yeah, that's right. And uh, you know, the IRS has been so intimidated by the right wing that the commissioner that he appointed has said that they're not going to do anything about it until after the 2016 election. And uh, whether they're actually going to do anything mm-hmm. about that, that is unlikely. Uh, well, yeah, it, mi- it might be unless, as Obama called, uh, people 
you know, raise holy hell about it. But so here he is in the State of the Union making this call saying people need to do this. And we'll play another clip from uh, from Obama in a second that you were particularly outraged by, it seems. But why do you what's the holdup here? If he can do this, as you suggest, John, uh, tomorrow, just add this to the uh, contracting federal contracting requirements. Why is he not doing it? Well, all you need to know about why he's not doing it is what the Chamber of Commerce has said about all of the efforts to force the disclosure of dark money. It's like really they've said that essentially they will go to war to stop this from happening. And Obama likes to say really great sounding stuff about money in politics. Like he said it his whole career, he said it when he was in the Senate, mm-hmm. he said it his whole presidency, and you listen to him and you're like, Oh man, like this guy, he cares so much about the issue, he should really run for president. <laughs> uh, but he, he's never done anything. It's really extraordinary. Throughout his entire presidency, he's refused to use the tools that he does have, completely separate from Congress. He's never advocated for Congress to pass any particular campaign finance reform. So it's one area for sure where his rhetoric and actions are totally different. And I think I know the section of his State of the Union address that you're going to play. Uh, I think everyone should listen to this closely yeah. and uh, then figure out how seriously you should take Obama in general. All right. Well, fair enough. Let's let's play this clip. Uh, you write, uh, John Schwartz, that what made Obama's soliloquy especially maddening was his suggestion that big money was overwhelmed, has overwhelmed politics because Americans just aren't trying hard enough. Changes in our political process and not just who gets elected, but how they get elected, that will only happen when the American people demand it. It depends on you. That's what's meant by a government of, by, and for the people. So there you go, John. Uh, The American people aren't demanding it enough. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. You know, if we would only get our act together and do something about it, then Obama would love to change everything about money and politics. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, as as I mentioned this article, people have been yelling about this, doing everything they possibly can mm-hmm. to get Obama to move on this specifically for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, various active, activist groups delivered over a million signatures to the White House. Uh, the White House petition system, they set up a petition on it asking him to act and very quickly got over the 100,000 threshold that you need in Mm -hmm. order, according to their own rules at the White House, that they now have to respond to it, although they have failed to do so so far. Uh, Many members of Congress, including Harry Reid, have written to Obama asking him to force federal contractors to disclose any dark money contributions. Reid has specifically asked for this very specific action. That's right. And I also mentioned this article, Gene Sperling, who was the director of Obama's National Economic Council, mm-hmm. has like, said on Twitter, like, of course we need to do this. And nonetheless, Obama to date <laughs> simply refuses to. And it's very difficult from the outside to know precisely what their calculations are. Mm-hmm. Maybe he'll sign something like this on his way out the door. But the reality of executive orders is that because they are things that 
are totally within the control of the president. Mm -hmm. If he issues it on the last day of his presidency, the incoming president can reverse it on their first day of their presidency. Yes, exactly. And it does beg the question, particularly as we're in the middle of an election year, why he is not doing this. So uh, I guess we don't know. He has not yet responded to that petition, as you as you mentioned. I don't know. Uh, I don't know why. It seems like he's supposed to, uh, by the White House's own rules, if they get more than a hundred thousand signatures. He hasn't replied. So I guess all we can do is speculate. But on that end, uh, can we can we go ahead and speculate that here's a guy, President Obama, who has been incredibly conservative in truth when it comes to use of executive power. Now, the Republicans will, you know, pretend, wave and scream, oh, he's a dictator, he's a tyrant, you know, challenge every executive action he takes. But in fact, the Supreme Court, for example, Uh, announced uh, uh, today on Tuesday that they're going to review his executive actions on immigration and uh, they have reviewed uh, other executive actions. Can it be here that he's saying, well, when it comes to the political realm, when it comes to campaigns, that, uh, you know, yeah, sure, I can order that federal workers are paid uh, $10.10 an hour, that there's no uh, sexual uh, discrimination, orientation or gender identity discrimination and so forth. But on elections, we need consensus. We need both parties to come together. Is it possible that he's saying that I could do this, but it is just something it would it would be a firestorm? We really need to get all the parties at least partially on the same page. I don't want to make an excuse for him, but is this potentially what what he's thinking? And, and does it make any sense if so? You know, it might be what he's thinking. It would be a lot easier for us to know what he was thinking if he would tell us <laughs> rather than just saying how great it would be if we could change things. Mm-hmm. You know, th- it's possible for sure that that's his calculation and from the White House when you're sitting there, maybe it makes sense. But if so, he should tell us that and say, we need more pressure on this issue precisely. Mm-hmm. You know, I can do it formally speaking. In reality, it would cause far too many problems. So you need to lobby not just me, but Congress. You need to elect a new Congress if you want to see this. He should just be straight up with us rather than just talking about how great it would be if we could change something on this issue mm-hmm. and that not doing what he himself could no, has he, the power to do. Yeah, and you make a good point. I mean, it, it's, it's maddening in one sense that he's not doing it. It's even more maddening that he's not doing it. He's sort of blaming the American people for the fact that it hasn't gotten done, and he hasn't explained why he himself has not done it. Uh, John Schwartz, uh, just another uh, a point or two I want to ask about before I let you go. Uh, you also note in your article that not every corporation receives federal contracts, but that most of the biggest do, including over 70 of the Fortune 100. So, uh, would this have a real effect, do you think, on is there enough money, enough federal money, enough, actually, I should say, enough different uh, groups out there uh, making these donations that it would really have an effect on our elections, that it really would change uh, the course of money in politics? Or is this really just uh, small potatoes, ultimately? I think we can say for sure that it has a powerful effect on our elections. And the reason we can say that for sure is that if it were small potatoes, if it really didn't matter, 
Obama would have happily done this mm. to get people off of his back. Well, I, you know, I can't help but wonder. I know when when the Supreme Court decided Citizens United, they suggested that transparency would, uh, you know, have its own limiting effect on these contributions or these really payoffs, bribes, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, John, since then... The Koch brothers have revealed a lot of their funding, and it seems like it has made little difference. In truth, there's just more money now flowing in. So, you know, I think it's kind of a no-brainer that obviously people enjoying federal contracts should disclose money. I still got to wonder how much it will actually help in the end. It seems like we need both transparency and very hard, strict limits on campaign spending. But, you know, in practical matters, we seem to be moving in, in quite the opposite direction of that, despite the calls for, uh, you know, for campaign finance reform, despite the groups like Move to Amend who want to change the Constitution. I, I got I mean, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just becoming too cynical, but I'm just wondering, uh, is transparency enough at this point? Because, well, you know, the Koch brothers, they don't seem to care. That's a really good point, and I would say to you and everybody who looks at this issue and feels like nothing can be done about it, that you're right, transparency is not enough and is not going to change very much. I would suggest that anybody who feels that way uh, look at a bill that John Sarbanes in Congress, he's a Maryland Democrat, has Mm -hmm. written. Uh, It's called the Government uh, by the People Act, and it has a really creative approach to dealing with money in politics, which is to provide significant matching funds to small donors. Uh, It's modeled after the campaign finance system of New York City, where I'm calling from, where small donations to uh, mayoral candidates, to people running for city council, get matched six to one. So if you give $100, it's worth $700 Mm. to the candidate. And I can tell you from living here that that has changed politics in the city, and it's really changed it for the better. And Sarbanes has almost every Democrat as co-sponsor in the House for this, as long, along with one Republican. Uh, Hillary, Hillary Clinton... Who? Who's, well the, who's the Republican, by the way, just so we can give him credit? Do you remember? Uh, I believe it's Walter Jones, the oh, Freedom yeah. Fries guy. Freedom Fries, sure. <laughs> of South uh, South Carolina, north of South Carolina, I think, Walter Jones. Yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and so so he's changed <laughs> his mind about a lot of things, and, and this is one of them. Right. And I would encourage people to check that out. I've written a bunch about it. Other people have written a bunch about it. And it now has you know gotten to the level, as I say, that Hillary Clinton has made it part of her platform and says that it should exist for congressional elections, as Sarbanes' bill does, and also for presidential elections. It would make a huge difference in American politics, and it's been designed so that the Supreme Court cannot strike it down. It would be much, much harder for them to strike down additional money rather than rules limiting money. And Sarbanes makes the argument, and I agree with it, that this is something that's very empowering to people, that they feel like they don't have to just watch the game of politics. They can get out onto the field. John Schwartz makes the argument at the end of his article, Obama delivers more pretty words, ugly inaction on money and politics, that Obama wound up the State of the Union with a pledge to anyone trying to reinvigorate American democracy. Quote, I can promise that a year from now, when I no longer hold this office, I'll be right there with you as a citizen. But... 
John Schwartz adds, if he actually cares about breaking the power of money in politics, it would be more effective if he started doing something about it while president of the United States. Read that entire article over there at uh, at The Intercept, theintercept.com, and follow John Schwartz on the Twitters. He is at Tiny Revolution, and if you follow him, you may win or lose $1,000 on Twitter. Oh, apparently. far, far more than that. <laughs> John, uh, really great to talk to you, sir. Really appreciate it. Uh, hope we can do it again in the future. Stay in touch, my friend. Thank you. You bet. Uh, John Schwartz from TheIntercept.com and on the Twitters, at Tiny Revolution. All right, a quick break, and we are back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. <laughs> It has been a uh, bad week over the past week for classic rock. Uh, just after we went off air last night, we learned that Glenn Fry, the prolific guitarist, singer, songwriter, and founding member of the Eagles, died at age of 67. Fry died in New York City of complications from rheumatoid arthritis, acute ulcerative colitis, and pneumonia, according to a statement from the band. The Eagles, whose album Their Greatest Hits, 1971 to 1975, is the second best-selling record of all time in the U.S. Did you know that? No, I didn't. It makes sense. It's uh, Well, it's, yeah, got a lot of hits on it. It's got 29 million copies sold in the U.S. It is second only to Michael Jackson's Thriller, according to Rolling Stone. Uh, the Eagles helped create the freewheeling soundtrack of the 1970s, says Reuters, uh, and uh, they remain ubiquitous in rock radio stations nearly half a century later. And here on the broadcast, where we where we, we play use them the Eagles all the time, all the time. Yeah, it's been a bad week for broadcast bumper music between David Bowie and now Glenn Frey. Uh, the Eagles' uh, blend of rock with country music influences fueled successes with hit songs such as Hotel California, Desperado, Already Gone, Take It to the Limit. While uh, drummer Don Henley uh, co-wrote many of the band's biggest hits and often uh, sang lead vocals for the band, Fry played guitar and piano. He was key to the band's harmony. His performances on Take It Easy, as we're listening to here, and Peaceful Easy Feeling on the band's debut album, in 1972, helped rocket the Eagles to fame. He later sang hits Lion Eyes, Already Gone. Uh, he was born in Detroit, Michigan, as it turns out. Uh, he, uh, he and Henley co-founded the Eagles in 1971 after playing backup for rock singer Linda Ronstadt. Oh, wow. Which I also hadn't known. I had no idea he could play so many instruments. Henley is, uh, uh, in a statement, praised Fry as the one who started it all for the Eagles. He was the spark plug, the man with the plan, says Henley. And uh, he will be, indeed, greatly missed. Speaking of Detroit and Michigan, uh, do we have this clip? Do we have this clip from uh, from Hillary Clinton? Uh, this was last Friday on uh, on Rachel Maddow's show. She had interviewed uh, Hillary Clinton 
And she asked about this water crisis up in Flint, Michigan, which continues to just be amazing, continues to be amazing that Michigan Governor Rick Snyder has not yet resigned, frankly, with so many people now calling for him to be arrested, to be frank. But anyway, uh, Hillary Clinton was asked about, I think this was the last question that uh, Matto threw uh, to Hillary. And frankly, she gave one of the best answers I've seen, not just to this question, but any question, a really impassioned response to Rachel Matto about this disastrous uh, lead crisis in the water up in Flint, Michigan. You put out a couple of statements already on the lead poisoning crisis uh, in Flint, Michigan, uh, which we've covered a lot. Yes. Um, I know you sent a couple of staffers yesterday to meet with the mayor yes. uh, in Flint. What is your view of what um, what's what's wrong there? If you were president now, uh, it, would you do something in terms of the response that isn't already being done? Right now, as best I can understand, the governor, the Republican governor, Governor Snyder is refusing to ask for the triggering of the federal help that he needs in order to take care of the people who are his constituents. And I am just outraged by this. I would pull out every stop and I I think I would look for any provision in the law that would permit me to override the lack of request from the governor if he refuses to still ask for what I think his people deserve to have. Now, since then, Governor Rick Snyder of Michigan has indeed finally asked for federal help. Governor Rick Snyder responded on Monday to criticism from Hillary Clinton during the Democratic debate, where she echoed on Sunday uh, her call uh, for action in this case. And Rick Snyder, I'll get to the federal response in a second, but Rick Snyder uh, said that Clinton was making this a political issue. Clinton had said, I know, Clinton had said every single American should be outraged uh, if the kids in a rich suburb of Detroit had been drinking contaminated water and being bathed in it. There would have been action. Uh, The Republican got where was his tweet? So during it was either during or right after that debate, Rick Snyder said, quote, political statements and finger pointing from political candidates only distract from solving the Flint water crisis. Oh, boy. He's not handling this well. Uh, you think? <laughs> Mind you, this has wow. been going on for a year. And when you talk about political statements, this is all about politics. This happened because he took the democratically elected uh, government of Flint and replaced him by fiat with his own emergency manager, just declared an emergency. And it's amazing that these laws exist anywhere and that they have been used for so many years now as they have been by Republican Governor Rick Snyder in Michigan, who came to office and just started replacing democratically elected governors with a single person of his choosing. And in Flint, that single person, that emergency manager said, hey, you know what, we can help Flint, but we can save money by turning off the water supply coming up from uh, Lake Huron in Detroit and just use the Flint River instead. And as it turns out, the Flint River, uh, the water in the Flint River was corrosive and has led to lead poisoning in the pipes and those same pipes, even though they've switched back now to uh, to the old water, that lead is still in those pipes because it's uh, been corrosive. And the governor, uh, it has taken months and months for him to do anything. The state lied about it. They lied about when they knew about it. And then once it you know came ob- became obvious that they did know about it and the mayor of Flint declared a state of emergency uh it it took weeks and weeks for them to even start bringing in water and water filters 
So the idea that Snyder says uh, this, this issue shouldn't be politicized, uh, he said uh, after, in response to Hillary Clinton's statement during the debate, he said, we're going to keep working on putting solutions in place. And what I would say is politicizing the issue doesn't help matters. Let's focus in on the solution and how to deal with the damage that was done and help the citizens of Flint and make Flint a stronger community. It has only been politicizing and finger pointing that has finally gotten action here. U.S. Bernie, uh, Senator Bernie Sanders, uh, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, uh, he's also running for the Democratic nomination, as you know, and he called for Snyder to resign. Finally, now President Obama has issued a state of emergency. Is that what it is? A state of emergency, which allows uh, a certain amount of uh, federal resources to come in, but not a state of disaster. Right, because first of all, it has to be formally requested by the Republican governor, Which he finally did. So he finally did that after waiting so long. So he finally makes the request. Obama is required only or can only issue a state of emergency because apparently the legal definition to receive federal emergency funds requires that it be natural, not man-made, natural to get a disasters, disaster. Fires, and a disaster, floods. Yes, fires, floods, uh, disasters release, uh, des- designation releases way more federal funds that would actually help replace Flint's infrastructure, which, which essentially is what is needed. They but, need hundreds of millions of dollars at this right, point, because, not just to get emergency water and filters there, but to replace all the pipes. Right, because it has been ruined that are was, still leaching off this uh, this lead. Right. It was uh, fine before they made the switch. Once they made the switch, that has now serial, seriously made the infrastructure of Flint now unusable. And when they say the finger pointing, when, when Snyder says finger pointing doesn't help, this crisis started in 2014. That's when he replaced the uh, the government in Flint with this state-appointed emergency manager. We are in 2016. This has been going on, and those kids now uh, who, who received that lead poisoning, they are going to be affected for life. So, yeah, uh, the finger-pointing uh, has helped in this case, and Rick Snyder really ought to you know resign in disgrace and as people are calling for now for him could actually show up too you know as far as i know he has not shown up to flint to deliver water himself Uh, that would be like a a thing that you could also do well yeah but it doesn't you know solve uh, the fact that uh people are poisoned for life and potentially have died have died thanks to this um this is, uh, he did an interview. Snyder was interviewed by Ron Fournier, uh, this right-winger, uh, frankly, journalist who has defended Snyder in the past, did an interview with him on Monday in the National Journal when asked if the comparisons to Katrina, to Hurricane Katrina, the uh, uh, largely considered the biggest domestic blunder of former President George W. Bush's administration, if comparisons to Katrina were unfair, Snyder I guess, to his credit, said, no, that's not unfair. It is a disaster, he said. Finally, the city's high level of lead in the water supply traces all the way back to 2014, they point out. Snyder says there were multiple failures at multiple levels. And I love this because he's sort of implying that the EPA, the federal EPA, that somehow it was their fault 
because they didn't overrule uh, the, the state government? Is that how that works? Is that what he's trying to claim, Desi Doyen? I think essentially what he is saying is because the EPA did not step in to stop us and bang <laughs> us over the head with the email that they already sent saying, hey, you guys need to retest your water and take a look at it again. Right. Yes, he's blaming it on the EPA for not stopping so them. So if I, if, I, if I rob a bank it, it, because they left the safe open, it's the bank's fault that they were robbed and uh, not my fault at all. Hey, if you wanted to stop the bank robbery, you could have locked the bank. So, or It's actually closer to saying the security guard at the bank didn't stop you hard enough. It didn't stop you hard enough. Exactly. Uh, so that's, uh, that's the EPA, by the way, that they were criticizing during the Republican debate last week. The EPA, what did Marco Rubio call them? He called it the Employment Prevention Agency. Yes, too many rules and regulations, like keep the goddamn lead out of the water. Who needs those kind of regulations? Uh, Unbelievable. So he's admitted it's a disaster. He's admitted that it's uh, akin to Katrina. He says, quote, it's clearly a negative on what we've accomplished since I've been governor. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And then he dodged uh, the magazine uh, National Journal's questions about exactly when the state found out about the Flint water supply and the lead. So we're still looking into that. In Flint, the governor does not have to uh, uh, disclose emails and so forth, but he's considering doing that. This is just unbelievable. And yes, that water may have as well led to the uh, to the death of 10 people from Legionnaire's disease. So they are still connecting those dots, poisoned thousands of others. And children for life. Yep. And children for life. Um, Just unbelievable that this continues. And uh, frankly, President Obama says, though, it's got to be a natural disaster for a disaster declaration. They need to find some way around this. They need to find some way, uh, you know, akin to what the governor did in, in using a, uh, uh, an emergency manager to replace the government. They just need to replace the government in, in Michigan. Oh, yeah, that's what elections are for. Unless you overrule them by throwing out all the elected officials and putting your own guy in place. Hey, Republicans, that's what actual tyranny looks like. Do something about it. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, today, to Cynthia Cohn, our booking goddess, and to my guest, John Schwartz of The Intercept. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it as ever at bradblog.com or over at iTunes. You can drop me an email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And you can make bets with me on the Twitters at TheBradBlog. Twitter and over at Facebook. All right, uh, that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.